This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Robert Kim, Chris Vogel, and Erwin Ince as they address the mechanisms needed to create gospel-shaped planning pipelines for church vitality. Robert Kim is the Assistant Professor of Applied Theology and Church Planning at Covenant Theological Seminary. Chris Vogel is the Church Planning and Vitality Coordinator for Mission in North America, where he serves alongside M&A Coordinator Erwin Ince. This episode was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly. Let's listen as they reimagine how to bring a renewed vitality to church planning. Yeah, welcome to this Seminar Gospels Shaped Church Planting Pipelines for Church Vitality. And uh, here's how we're going to work through our time together uh, through this seminar. I'm just going to talk for a few minutes about some of the challenges and dynamics of church planting uh, in the current age. And then uh, Robert Kim, he'll be able to introduce himself, serves as a professor at Covenant Theological Seminary is going to uh, talk to us about here's what we're doing today to engage engage this issue and challenge of pipelines. And then Chris Vogel, who serves as the uh, Church Planting and Vitality Coordinator for Mission to North America, will talk about the need and what we're doing in the PCA. And then we'll have some time for engagement and Q&A. I will let you know that even before we get to the Q&A, There's going to be some engagement. You will need some technology here in uh, our uh, in our session. We're going to use some. We're going to do a poll using Mentimeter. Don't be afraid. It's uh, it'll be self-explanatory when we get there. All right. All right. So let's just talk first about uh, church planting in our age. And uh, this next slide: the current age. How? Should we define it? How should we define it? I've got a picture here of the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, Well, I'm from Brooklyn, and so if I'm going to put a picture here, it's going to be from my hometown. But most particularly because this is the the picture that is on the cover of the Charles Taylor book. Go ahead to the next slide. A Secular Age. A Secular Age. I think Charles Taylor is helpful in understand, helping us understand the nature of the current age as a secular age. And here's how he 
Here's how he understands and defines it. He says, I want to examine our society as secular in this sense, which I could encapsulate, he says, in this way. The change I want to define and trace is one that takes us from a society in which it, is, it was virtually impossible not to believe in God to one in which faith, even for the staunchest believer, is just one human possibility among others, including possibly some very close to me, whose way of living I cannot in all honesty just dismiss as depraved or blind or unworthy, who have no faith, at least not in God or the transcendent. A couple of things before we move on to the next slide is this nature of our age as secular, a transition from one in which it was virtually impossible not to believe in God, even though, of course, you've always had atheists, but one in which faith, even for the staunchest believer, is just one human possibility among a myriad of others. And I cannot necessarily just dismiss my neighbors who have no faith as being outwardly morally depraved or um, blind or unworthy. And so, next slide, please. And then he says this, belief in God are no, is no longer axiomatic. There are alternatives. And this will also likely mean that at least in certain milieu, it may be hard to sustain one's faith. There will be people who pe- feel bound to give it up, even though they mourn its loss. This has been recognizable, a recognizable experience in our societies, at least since the mid-19th century. There will be many others to whom faith never even seems an eligible possibility. There are certainly millions, he writes today, of whom... This is true. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the, um, the podcast, As in Heaven. It's a Gospel Coalition podcast. Um, Jim Davis, uh, Pastor Down in Orlando, Michael Aitchison, PCA pastor uh, at Christ United Fellowship, are the hosts of this podcast. And this season, they are focused on the, uh, the de-churched, those who fit this last description. Many others for whom faith... Uh, or rather, people who feel bound to give it up, even though they mourn its loss. The whole season is about their research on those who have this whole class of people, the de-churched, uh, which is a very common thing in our society. Uh, Barna released a study uh, uh, just in uh, the past year, 2022. A, uh, they call it a, a study of, of global teens. 25,000 teens from around the world, ages 13 to 17. And the title of their study is, titled, is called The Open Generation. They, um, they uh, research these teens and in question, questions about their, um, their understanding or their perspective on Jesus, their perspective on the Bible, their perspective on social matters. And here's what they found. Here's uh, several things, right? But that, that comes along, and these are, some would say they're Christian, others would say they are not. Uh, and these, their views, they were, they had very positive views about um, Jesus as merciful and gracious. Very positive views about a Jesus who uh, was full of grace. 
but they repelled at the idea of a Jesus who had authority over their life, who had authority to dictate how their course of their lives should go. And at the same time, even as teens, they are passionate about issues of justice in the social square. Right? And so, so this is the reality, and they're only reflecting right, what the generation right above them, the 18 to 25s, have already begun to embody. So what does that mean for us? What does church planting and vitality look like in a secular age? And particularly, then, what does it look like to develop pipelines for church planting in this kind of an age? Go ahead to our next slide. Uh, here's our ministry pipeline uh, uh, um, visual for you. So here's the thing. In order to meet the challenge of our secular age, deep pipelines for ministry are necessary. You need to consider these kind of following questions. Where do you identify your ministry in this pipeline? Am I having a vision for leadership development, able to provide assessment for whether people have a sense of call to to ministry, some formal or informal process for leadership um, development, able and at the point of being able to launch leaders, and being at a point of multiplying leaders, uh, and uh, and that says glory, right, at the bottom. It just means we keep going in the pipeline till, <laughs> till the final end is glory. And so these are questions that we're going to um, ask you to consider. One, as you look at this pipeline, Where would you identify your own ministry here as you think about raising up leaders in this current age? Two, where would you see yourself as having the most difficulty in the pipeline? And then three, what have you found to be the most helpful in developing and cultivating leaders? For example, engaging uh, people from youth ministry, young adult ministry, college ministry, evangelism efforts, etc. And here's the deal. You can, you can potentially be at multiple points in this pipeline in your own ministry context. And so with these three ministry questions, here is your first interactive assignment. Menti.com, all right? These, those are your questions, right? If you want to take out your device and scan this QR code, uh, it will take you to the website where you get to put in your answer to those questions. If you're not able to scan it, you can still take out your device and enter in this website, www.menti.com, and enter this code, 87566028, and it will take you to... The, uh, the site to give you the opportunity to answer those three questions. You will see them there on the site. So this is where I push pause. If we had some like, you know, uh, Jeopardy music while people are writing down the answer to the questions, we would play it, but we don't. So, <laughs> so we're going to take a couple of minutes and give you an opportunity 
to, uh, to answer this question, and then we will show you the results of what, what, is, the, what is the dynamic in this room in terms of these, uh, in terms of these questions. Go ahead, and let's, see where, let's see where we are. Okay, here we go. Um, in, and people may still be putting in their uh, responses uh, on this scale from uh, one to five. Vision for leadership development in this room. Folks are at about a 4.2, so there's a pretty high vision for that. Uh, assessing people for leaders about in, uh, on the upper side at 3.4. Uh, leadership formation, either informal or formal. 3.9, leadership launch, launch, a little bit lower, 3.1 on the scale. And uh, multiplying leaders at, 2 point, uh, at 2.8 in terms of strongly disagreeing or agreeing with these statements. So there is clearly a heart, right, and a vision for developing leaders, which you could have probably assumed, that's why you're in this, <laughs> in this, uh, in this seminar. Uh, this is helpful for us. So let me transition to. Uh... Second question, sorry. Oh, that's a sorry. Yeah, second question. Yeah, thank you. Um, where are you having the most difficulty? Where are you having the most difficulty? The highest here, two are the leadership formation and multiplying leaders. Um, all right, let's go to the next one. Where have you found the, the most, uh, to be the most helpful? What have you found to be the most helpful? Uh, these you got to enter in, M&A, getting interns in, into plants, uh, intentional engagement, evangelism. Some say still early in the process. Most helpful, an extensive plan that requires time and commitment Seeking out proper training has been vital. Putting candidates through training to help them. Hosting a seminary, having young adult Bible studies. Life on life discipleship. Go ahead to the next slide. All right. Thank y'all. Good input. We get a sense of what's going on here in this room, where your uh, challenges are, maybe strengths, uh, and where you find helpful. So, Robert, take it away. Thank you, Wendy. Appreciate it. Uh, my name is Robert Kim. I'm uh, over at Covenant Theological Seminary. I actually lead the uh, church planning track. And so uh, as part of that, wanna thank you. That's one of my students in the track uh, who's actually in New York doing an internship, which is actually funny because I texted him because I thought he was in New York still. But anyhow, uh, all that to say is this. Um, we're really excited about just thinking through what pipelines look like. I do think it's a buzzword. But it's some of the times we don't put a lot of effort or thought into what that might look like and what that might actually mean. I'm going to go to a book and a quote from it. It's actually not a quote. It's actually the Bible. But all that to say is Oswald Sanders, this book on spiritual leadership was one of the first books I read uh, when I became a Christian and went to campus ministry. And I thought, oh, I really want to aspire to leadership. And so, you know, there's this thing about, you know, to aspire to leadership is an honorable ambition. I remember reading it thinking, yeah, I want to be a leader. I think the Lord has called me to leadership. What does that mean? How do I develop? What uh, What does that entail? Uh, one of the things I think that's fascinating is I'm trying to write an article on this, which is just simply uh, the title of it would be something to the effect of, to aspire to leadership is still an honorable ambition. And here's the reason why I think that title is apt and appropriate in our current waters. Uh, so there's a book by Andy Crouch that I could use as well. And basically the book is um, Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. And what I think he does in that book really well is to say we take a word like power, which is a good word, 
And in some ways, it's been used in our culture to say it's bad, right? And we think about abuse of power in so many ways, and people no longer want to strive for power. The same thing is true of leadership right now. When people think of the word leader, they often associate it, and it doesn't take too much of our imagination to do this, right? You listen to a podcast like Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and we think about, like, at what point in time are we going to see the next uh, issue of a leader arise? A true point. I teach a leadership class at Covenant Seminary, and I have one slide, and it's actually a really sad slide because here's what I do. I talk about character, and we start with character in our class of saying character compensating calling character is vital to ministry leadership. But what that slide is, it's a slide of, quote-unquote, the leaders who have failed morally in some way, shape, or form. And here's why it's a sad slide. I just need to update it with the most recent victim of that. And every year, I can just add another person. And it reminds us again of the need for character formation within leadership. Here's the thing, right? This next generation, my fear in respect to this is as we think about pipeline, is how do we cast vision to be able to say that the word leader is not bad? In fact, it is a biblical word, it is a good word, and we need to continue to remind people it's still good, it's still honorable. And here's the true fact, and actually I'm going to give the quote as to where I heard this, um, just because. All right, so the late Harry Reader taught a class at Covenant Theological Seminary, actually on leadership. And I remember listening to it, just because a bunch of my students gave it to me and said, hey, listen to this. And what that said is this, his quote is something to this effect. The problem of leadership is not that there will be the absence of leaders, You either have good leaders or bad leaders. When good leaders don't arise, bad leaders will. And so church, denomination, PCA, if I can exhort us, part of our uh, task in front of us as we think about developing leaders is really, again, not only casting this vision, but really redeeming this word as its rightful use in the church. To believe that, again, we, hopefully even in this room, can be good and upright leaders, but so likewise that we can train and develop leaders as well. Um, in a book called The Eucharist Deception, Seth Godin actually talks about this. And again, my apologies for some of you who may not know Greek, mythologi- Greek mythological characters. I myself didn't, but I read the book, and I found it absolutely fascinating. And here's the reason why I want to pick up on this book and why I think it fits for this room. So I'm, I'm tasked with saying, okay, so Irwin kind of casts a larger vision of the secular age, and I'm going to tell you what I see in the seminary classroom. And what I mean by that is I'm at that place where students have had some form of sense of call, They've gone to a seminary, and again, any other seminary for that same matter, students are going there. And, you know, I get to see how they're processing their call and kind of their formation of leadership. And here's the thing that I see that actually is true what Seth Godin picks up on. So Seth Godin teaches business at Stanford University. And he writes this book saying, okay, when you think about the story, and so the story is something to this effect that people will hear. It's a Greek mythological bird that gets launched, and the story that most people will hear in terms of the account of it is if the bird flies too close to the sun... Its wings catch fire, and it falls, and it crashes. And so most people will hear that and say, okay, the moral of the story then is what? Don't have too much ambition, because if you have too much ambition, you're going to crash and burn. And again, we can think about leaders that maybe perhaps when you were in seminary, I know some, where I thought, hey, they thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you're like, oh, man, you're just a couple steps away probably from some form of moral failure, because you're too into it for yourself. And you're like, okay, that's it. Don't fly too high. But Godin picks up and says basically this, that in our current culture, what we're actually seeing is the counterpart that often doesn't get told about Icarus, which is this. If the bird were to fly too low, the water would get on the bird's wings as well, and the same net result would happen. It would crash and die. And so his point is this, and this is literally what he's seeing from a sector perspective. He's saying, look, this next generation is risk-averse. They're not wanting to seek leadership because they've been told the message, don't fly too high, 
But again, the challenge is, in some ways, in our pipeline, is to be able to say, how do we get this next generation to actually believe that, again, they can lead, that they can lead church plants, they can lead healthy churches, and they can do this to be able to say, let's rise up that leadership thermometer. Anecdotally speaking, I was teaching a class. I think it was a fall uh, class. I had 26 students in my class. And one of the things that was really fascinating about this was I asked questions of, like, what is your sense of call? And not one single student, and this isn't, I think, a reflection of Covenant Theological Seminary. I want to put that out there. I think this is a reflection of just what's in the water. Not one student said after graduating that they wanted to be a lead or senior pastor, that they didn't think it was part of their call. And the reason why I think that's a contrast is because I remember being in seminary that everyone was like, I'm going to take the hill. I'm going to take the storm. Now, mind you, generational shifts are there. But in this water of what we're seeing, I think the question should be asked is, if that's the case, how are we going to tap in from the standpoint of a pipeline to be able to say, this is the generation we're working with, and we need to be able to say, you know what, like, you're actually part of this body, which leads us to my next point. So in 1 Corinthians 12, and it's actually the analogy, so when we think about pipelines, here's usually the problem. We think of like a, an isolated issue, and we think that issue is the only thing in effect. In Paul's analogy in 1 Corinthians 12, he draws attention to the fact that every part of the body is important. So truth be told, and actually Chip knows this only because, all that to say is this, I'm having an elbow issue, I play tennis. I'm going to have surgery on my elbow this summer after I finish my tennis season. But what that said is this. What I know is that it's not just my elbow, but my elbow is interconnected and woven to all the other parts of the body, and it's affecting me. When we think about addressing a pipeline, the same thing is true where we can't just say, okay, there's one part of this. They're all interconnected. So the reality is when we think about even this denomination at General Assembly, when you hear things about like youth ministry or RUF and all these other like, ministries are doing pipeline development in some way, shape, or form, we have to be able to connect those dots and to be able to say, you know what, we're all part of the same body. Each aspect is uber important, of which we need to tap into. So, you know, one time I did a missions conference, and I remember uh, it was really beautiful for a lot of reasons. They asked me to speak on church planning. No surprise, but all that to say is this. As I was speaking about church planning, one of the beautiful things that happened was, you know, I didn't know it was during COVID. So everyone was masked, everyone was distanced, et cetera, and things like that. Um, but in the parking lot, a young kid, like a seven-year-old, came up to me and said, Dr. Kim, thank you so much for being able to come and share with us. I think the Lord has called me into church planning. And what was just really beautiful about that was just simply saying this, speak about it and not to doubt that this next generation, no matter how young they might be, and no matter how the Lord might use, whatever, to cast that vision, to be able to say, you know what, let's continue to raise it. I'm going to, that's the last part, or second to the last part that I do want to get at. Um, so I think there's been a, what I call a vocational shift that's been really important in the church. And what I mean by that is this. There's been all these books, and actually one of my counterparts I actually teach with, Dr. Doriani. Uh, Dan Doriani has written one on work, and just kind of saying all work has its value and dignity. Tim Keller, in the same reason, I think every good endeavor has done a lot with respect to kind of center for faith and work. And there's been a good correction in the church that says, you know what, all work has its meaning and purpose. But one of the things I think that's missing right now is actually also still is to be able to say, look, a, a pastor or a ministry leader doesn't do more, quote-unquote, greater work than, let's say, the janitor, and that's true. Yet, at the same time, there is a prophetic voice that I think we need to recapture to be able to say, but being a pastor, ministry leader, planter, etc., is still really good work that the Lord is calling some of you to. And what I don't hear are youth pastors and even churches, pastors and ministry leaders, maybe like yourself, of looking to some of the young men in your, your, your places that you do ministry, and actually just speaking a word of affirmation, saying, you know what? I see that the Lord has great gifts in you. Some of those gifts, by all means, could be used to go be an accountant. But some of you are called, and I can see it. 
And I want to just affirm, would you pray about that? And I can tell you, at least in my own life, if it wasn't for a generation above me that spoke that into my life, I would not be where I am today. This is that vision for a pipeline that I want to exhort you all to consider, which is to be able to say, in our intergenerational church, so again, one of the beautiful things about Revelation 7-9, where we talk about every tribe, nation, and tongue, I spoke about this recently. I just said, hey, you know, that verse also implies every generation. And, you know, as the PC ages, which is, that's no secret, right? We're an aging denomination. We're 50 as a denomination this year. The beauty that we need to be able to realize is that we're an intergenerational denomination as much as we want to seek, for example, every nation, tribe, and tongue. And it's in that generation that there's a beautiful piece when, for example, what do uh, the older folk in our denomination get to offer the, the, the church, the church at large? It's being able to speak into these young men's lives and be able to say, you know what? I remember being like you. I had doubts. But man, I can see so much of what God has done in your life that there's that potential. And just that one word of affirmation can do so much to raise a generation for the sake of, of, of church planting and all other ministries. Uh, the last point that I just want to get at is just this. Um, and the point is just that the, that the church was made for mission and it's God's mission. Here's the hope about church planning in terms of vitality. Our gospel is shaping, really, in essence, our hope in light of this. And what I mean by that is, so think throughout all of Scripture how there's kind of this use to be able to say that the gospel is not stagnant, but the gospel is constantly growing. Think about vine in the branches, right? Jesus says, abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. That whole notion is to say it's growing. Part of that is for us to realize is this. In this interconnected body of who we are, the Lord is working in this next generation. We can't lose hope to say that in this next generation, the Lord is going to raise up those future pastors, ministry leaders, church planners, etc. Let's cast that vision. I get to see it, and I'm just exhorting you as a body to be able to say, you know what? Even for those people who are doubting, let's speak courage into their life. Think about that, that, that command. I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but think about that commandment that gets said over and over and over again. Do not be afraid. We know what it's like to have fears and stepping into leadership positions. And guess what? That same word of the Lord, we get to speak to this next generation to say, guess what? Don't be afraid. I get it. I was once there. Now, I want to pick up on where Robert left off. As I, my job is to get into some of the data. And uh, some of that is really seems depressing, and it's not. Anything negative is an opportunity for us to pray and seek the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. As Robert was talking about, there's this generational shift. And sometimes when we describe it, the generational shifts can sound judgmental. I put it a different way. As the three of us, I'm the old guy now, so depressing. Um, as, as a boomer, the recognition is spiritual maturity, and these are broad generalizations, but they, they, op, they work well. Spiritual maturity for us was self-sufficiency. If I can do it on my own, that's good. If there's something I need, I'll get what I need and then do it on my own. And so that sense of, as Robert said, still as a Gen Xer, I'm going to take that hill. The change with millennial to a, a more Gen Z is spiritual maturity is interdependency. And I would say much healthier. The problem is we are still operating in a boomer mindset. We're still trying to, to, to sell some of this, if you will, leadership model that says you do it rather than you lead a team to do it. And so you're going to see some changes, I hope, in the way we talk about not just pastoral leadership but church planting that is much more team-oriented. With that said, 
when we look at what's in front of us, this idea of where the PCA is at. Prior to COVID, we were doing about 50 churches a year. We used to say, we're doing one a week. And that was always a real positive thing. Well, then along came a small thing of COVID. Um, now, but you look at it, in 2019, pre-COVID, we planted 38 churches. There was a downward trend already in motion. Then 26 churches, 16 churches, 26 churches last year. I'm, I, it's still too early to tell. I am hoping that we will be moving um, upwards from, from that, that number. The thing, though, we often haven't uh, factored in is when we talk about churches closing or leaving the denominations. I just use the word close, but it's really... Over 20 years, it's been about 40 to 45 churches. Now, I've been saying that figure, and the person that gave me that, that figure, I asked, where did you get that figure? Um, after we started uh, talking about this, and they said, well, I don't know, somebody told me. So that is a disclaimer. Um, but the reality is, it's somewhere in that area which really means when we, when we look at that, uh, and then when we look at COVID, I would say last year, churches that left and then, um, or changed, left the denomination or closed, we are probably, I think this uh, last year in 22 was 38. So I don't think we're seeing a trend shift. I think that's probably more where the number is. But that's nothing to celebrate, because if whether it's a net gain of five or 10, that's not a net gain that's going to get us where, where we need to be. Because the, the, the reality in all of this is that uh, the PCA has been growing about one quarter of 1% a year. And we can say, we're growing. We're doing better than a lot of denominations. Yay! The reality is the, the population uh, growth rate over the last generation or so is somewhere between 3.13% even if we take um, the low end of 0.5%, we're still falling behind. If we just want to maintain, not really see growth, we want to maintain, we've got to double the number of churches that are starting and, and, and all that that's involved. And when we talk about that, what that really looks like, some of this stuff you've seen before, but we've got to just burn it into our minds. Poll in 2014 2014, we planted how many? 4,000 churches. We closed 3,700. Net gain of 300. Not great news, but it's a net gain. When the poll was done again, right before COVID, we, were, we planted 3,000 churches. So we had a, a definite loss in planting, but closures went up to 4,500. I don't know if you can see the contrast there. That is, is uh, a recipe for death. Um, putting it another way, in 2020, U.S. population 333 million, we had about 300,000 churches. So the ratio being 1 to 1,100 churches. The trouble is, the projections seem to be, if you take this out some 50 years, we are going to see fewer, fewer churches will go from 300,000 to 250,000. Meanwhile, the population goes from 333 million to 450 million. So now the ratio is one church to 
to 1,800. So the, the ratio, it, it means we are not reaching the population. One of the other factors in all of that is that population growth. And if you take it back before 2020, you take it back to your 2000, 2000 to 2070, U.S. population growth rate will go from 300, 300 million to 450 million, a 50% increase in the population. 82% of that population growth will be immigrants and their minor children. So it, it, you look around this room, and most of us are not representative of where this country is going. And if we are not being proactive and reaching and seeing what we are able to do, we are only going in one direction. So simply to maintain the status quo, we, we need to, to double the number of churches in the U.S. in the next 30 years, which means, and this, the, these numbers here are Protestant. These are all Protestant churches. I hope that's, that's clear. It didn't say that. But that means we need 600 and, uh, 666 churches each year versus a loss of 1,500. So we're looking at almost 8,000 differential there. Okay, this is all, all, all negative. It's, it's, uh, it's scary stuff. So what are we going to do? We have to radically rethink, and this is where pipelines come in. You can no longer, and uh, again, here in the PCA uh, context, please uh, do it, and you'll hear the same story. Don't call up M&A and say, oh, who do I talk to about church planting? Oh, yes, the Vogel guy. Hey, Vogel, can you get me a church planter? Um, oh, Alan Foster, who's church planting resources that, that works, works with the and M&A. W- would you guess, is Alan here? I saw you. Alan, are you able to get a church planter for anyone that calls you up in, in a week and a half? No. Okay. In a year and a half? No. No. It's not there. So this is why we need the pipelines. This is why we have to think through what does development look like. And that pipeline is not, I need someone in six months or a year. It's what are you doing now in your own church, in your presbytery, to identify those people who are called to ministry. Uh, Barnapol from 2016 uh, asked the question of Protestant pastors, broadly speaking, Protestant ministers, when did you first sense the call to ministry? Over 50% said they sensed a call to ministry between the ages of 14 and 21. If you want to know a pipeline, that's where you've got to go. You've got to go way back and even further back to begin to talk like that seven-year-old and begin to do that. Uh, it was on a Zoom call a year or two years ago. Mike Kelly up in Pacific Northwest had a great statement. He said, guys, are you preaching to, your, to the 10-year-old in your church who will be one of the pastors in your presbytery in 20 years. If you're not thinking along those lines, we are not going to be able to multiply the way we should. So, you know, you'll be hearing uh, more and more uh, as far as the vision that M&A has in our own context. We want to see in 10 years growth from 1,932 churches to 3,000 churches. Now, it's easy to say numbers and say, in 10 years, we want to see a 50% increase. We want to see 1,000 churches. How are we going to do that? These are the mechanisms. We want to be planting new churches. We want to, to, to decrease the closures. That's harder, but we've got to be more proactive in bringing health and vitality to our churches because when they are vital, when, they, when we are seeing people come to faith, we will see churches planted. We can't plant churches because our churches are dying. We need to bring health to our churches so that they will engage in church planting. We need to expand the diversity of the PCA. 
Um, and this is where we look at the, the immigrant population and, and who the U, U.S. and Canada is right now. We need to see much growth. And we are starting down that direction. You're going to hear more and more about uh, reaching ethnic minorities and reaching context, not just um, racial or ethnic uh, demographics, but also the socioeconomic and the place, uh, rural church planting, small-town church planting, um, partnering with denominational agencies. Hey, uh, who, who doesn't think this is a good idea? But we're starting to see it, working with MTW, RUF, and CDM, are having those conversations so that we can help with these pipelines. And then also enfolding existing congregations into the PCA. Establish churches that, that are unable to find people to fill their pulpits to say, we will help you fill those pulpits, and we want to talk to you about coming into the PCA. Um, because otherwise, that's part of those churches are dying. It's not just going out and finding healthy churches to bring in. I'm not saying on that level that they come in. That's great. But that's not the, 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 the first movement there. But the idea is reaching in that direction. So that's kind of what we're looking at. We'll want to call your attention to uh, the brochure, or the, the flyer about the church planting um, summit. The focus is going to be very much on this topic. We want to see this take place. And y'all are the, the way that's going to happen. We want to help facilitate it, help with the conversations. M&A Covenant can't do it. We're here to serve, serve you, and we want to be able to work together in that. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.